The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. This is Extended, the ETOPS Aviation Podcast. Here's Peter Johnson. We're in front of the Merlin. Can you tell us a little bit about the aircraft? What aircraft did you fly before? Uh, Soho 22. Right, okay. That's quite an interesting aircraft. Mm-hmm. What was that like to fly? Faster. Yeah. <laughs> Gareth Stringer. Make no bones about it. This is still a very capable aircraft. The cockpit's very cramped. You've got leg restraints on. You're sat on a seat that's got explosives in it. Tim Robinson. Also the A400M, got to go inside and uh, have a poke around with. Just uh, taking me on the trip of our lifetime in a F-18F Super Hornet. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended. Extended! The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Forum on the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Joining me on the panel today are three more interesting guests from different views on aviation. I'd like to welcome my first guest. He's an ex-RNZF avionics technician, and he's an expert on the RNZF's uh, A4K Skyhawks, and was co-author of the excellent book on that topic, Skyhawk. And he's a volunteer guide at the Air Force Museum of New Zealand. I'd like to welcome Don Sims. Hi, Don. Hi, Dave. My second guest uh, is a pilot and a huge enthusiast of aviation history, and um, that's perfect because he's also the CEO of Tauranga's fantastic Classic Flyers Museum. I'd like to welcome Andrew Gormley. Hi, Andrew. G'day, Dave. Nice to be here. Thanks. And my third guest is uh, one of New Zealand's most beloved comedy actors, and he's also a part (laughs) <laughs> he's also a pilot and he uh, grew up in an agricultural aviation family and he's a huge enthusiast of all things aviation um, which uh, shows through his uh, very popular Facebook group called Plain Crazy People Welcome Peter Rowley 
Hi, Peter. Yep, thank you, Dave. Yeah, I'm so pleased to be here amongst illustrious aviation uh, aficionados. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> We've all got the same disease. That's true. <laughs> I've always said if I could uh, if I could shrink aeroplanes, I'd uh, I'd take them intravenously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant! We actually thought you'd already been doing that, mate. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we'll get into a bit of the news uh, from the last sort of month or so since the last episode of the forum and. Um, uh, one of the news items that I, I noticed a couple of weeks ago, there was um, a fisherman was knocked out by the wing of a dead stick home build aircraft that um, force landed on uh, Matata Beach or Matata. How do you say that? Matata Matata yeah. Beach. Um, and uh, yeah, that's um, that's a really unusual one. And then this week, another news item came up. I think it was in Portugal from yeah. memory, where sure. where a Another same case, and unfortunately, uh, a man and a girl were killed by the aircraft. So, I mean, we, we don't hear of this happening very often where an aircraft comes down on a beach and actually hits somebody. So, uh, that's quite quite unusual, isn't it? Well, it's very tragic in the uh, in the one overseas, of course. The um, but the strange part about it was, if you saw the pictures, that the wing looked like it had was ready to depart the aircraft prior to the yep. arrival at the beach. It was. Uh, that was pretty interesting, I thought. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I guess you got to feel for the pilot, so, you know, if they've lost an engine and their only option is the beach you know, and there's people on it, it's, it's, yeah, what do they do? It's, it's pretty uh, scary for them as well, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I wonder, if has anyone heard how the, the chap um, from um, uh, Matata Beach is? Because... You know, the, it was all over the media, but they haven't really said how he is. So, has he recovered? Or I personally don't know. I um, only heard about it in passing in a similar manner, and I don't know what the results were of it all and that sort of thing. No, right. No. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's typical of the media though. They only only give you half the story. Yeah. <laughs> May I ask a question, um, Andrew? I'm, I'm I'd like to hear what you, uh, your thoughts are on uh, the, the choice that you have when you, you maybe engine failure or whatever and you can see people on the beach and uh, you're in a, a very expensive uh, classic classic aeroplane but you see the people, you look at the, uh, the foreshore and you think do I ditch close to the beach or do I do the beach? What, would, what, what are your thoughts on the choices that these two pilots made who knocked somebody out and killed two people? What, what would you do? Well, uh, very unfortunate. I mean, if it was a very built-up beach, I actually would probably opt to ditch in the water just off the beach, personally, because I couldn't see anything other than um, tangling with people. But, uh, you know, it's very easy to say that uh, outside the picture and in hindsight. I mean, I don't know what I'd do as it's occurring. Um, if, the, uh, if there were not many options, I mean, you, you take whatever options you got in front of you. Um, the uh, it's, It does seem odd if there's not many people, if it's a sparsely populated beach, uh, hitting somebody might have really just involved that sort of post in the middle of the paddock factor. Um, yes. And yes. Um, that, that can happen to people, I guess, but it's it's just conjecture on my part. I mean, I've, you know, I've seen it with teen teenagers in cars. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it, it's a difficult one, eh? Yes. Or, or it, it, it is. is what I say. If there's a hole in front of you, go for the hole. <laughs> never go for yes. the never go for the post or the or the solid bit. Yeah. Uh, my, my brother was ferrying a Pawnee a 
few years back uh, for my father flying from Auckland to uh, Amberley and um, uh, he had an engine failure and went down on uh, into a farm, uh, landed but went through a fence and uh, and damaged you know the, the the aircraft a little but surprisingly enough they, they were built pretty well. The pony, but the farmer drove up, got out of his you know this fence was munted, a great big hole, and he drove up uh, in this beat up old Land Rover and apparently just pulled out his rollies and quietly started rolling a cigarette and my brother walked over to him thinking he was going to get a fair swift kick up the backside and the farmer just said in a very droll voice, yeah, well I was thinking of putting a, a gate there anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you always want to say, pity you hadn't thought last week. <laughs> yeah. But that's the way it is sometimes. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's very easy to, to, to speak about other people's mishaps, but... Um, um, I, I, the one overseas was intrigued me that it had such a bent wing. I don't think he did that on arrival. It sounds to me like that was occurred that had occurred beforehand. So you mightn't have had many options at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. Well, on with another piece of news. Um, I'm sure you all would have seen that uh, an Embraer KC390 visited New Zealand uh, in recent weeks to uh, be assessed. By the RNZF uh, as a as a possible contender for our transport replacement. I don't know what what are your thoughts on on that particular aircraft. Anyone have any thoughts? Yeah, I read an article, an old one actually from the Aviation News, um, used to at the museum between coffees, and yeah, it actually sounds a, a pretty nice machine. Um, right. I guess the only thing with it is it's still pretty new and early in its development, so I think that's always going to be a, a pretty big risk, and you know. Minister of Defence, NZDF, is pretty risk-adverse, so I can't see us going that way. Personally, I think we'll probably end up with some more hurts from what I hear. Yeah, I kind of think that too. Um, in terms of the, the Embraer, I, I've only ever heard really good things about them as a company and, and also with their follow-up support. Um, maybe it's an option for down the track when they had a, had a bit more time in service yeah. overseas. Uh, perhaps we could get some interim Hercules or something like that and like, look at something later. Like any new type, isn't it? Um, it's always an unknown factor, but uh, they do read well and, and look okay, don't they, those ones? Mm. Uh, they do. Hard to know. And, but you're right, the Hercules are certainly uh, proven oh. out there, aren't they? Now, may, may I ask um, for you, for, for the listeners and for me, actually, just to tell me a wee bit about the Embraer. What, you know, is it uh, jet? Is it turboprop? Is it, you know, how many engines and all that sort of thing? Could, you, could someone tell me that? It's a twin engine, twin jet, um, quite a lot bigger payload than a C, our, our current C-130 Hercules, just reading the specs. I forget how many tonnes um, it can take, but you know, one of our Hercs can basically take 20 tonnes as its max payload cargo, uh, but th I think this thing can take um, well over 30 um, and still have reasonable range with it. So. It certainly can, can lift, and, and because it's a jet, I guess it goes higher and faster transiting as well. And, and it has the same big back door that comes down like the Hercules? Yes, yep. I think the, the cargo pallet size is pretty standard. So It, it looks like a, a really good aircraft, but I'm not sure how jets would go on a rough strip. Uh, wouldn't they suck a lot of stuff up? Yeah, that is a, a risk, but I guess if they're high enough up, and there's not a lot of... Um, if, it depends where the... the engines are versus the wheels, so the wheels aren't flicking stones in that direction, but they've, yeah. I know like the C-17 is quite a, a 
lot of footage around of them landing and taking off on dirt strips. But definitely can't oh, can't do the engines much good when they go full reverse thrust and start sucking all that muddy mucking. Yeah. But they do. They, the C-17s are performing very well in all sorts of adverse yeah. conditions with loads and all that sort of thing, aren't they? So yeah, absolutely. Probably yes, I think like, that C-17's still the airplane for New Zealand, but I think it's gone past. I don't think the government's interested for some reason. Yeah. Well, there's there's none left to buy, is there? No. New ones. Yeah, it would have been nice to see them here, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Even a couple would have been good. Yeah. Uh, even the sorry, uh, even the Airbus, which um, came out to a I had a look through that, and that looked like a really interesting aircraft. I thought that that could be a good contender. Mm. But I think again, it's it's very expensive, and there's a lot of risk with it. It's still very early in its development, and there's a lot of issues with it that are still being worked through. Didn't yeah. one crash in the United States recently? Uh, I hadn't heard that. Not aware of that. There was one US, but yeah, I, think, I think they had an event with one of some sort not long ago. Yeah. Yep. There was that one that crashed and yeah, where it was on a test flight out of the factory. I think it was a Spanish one. Yes. Yeah, yeah Spain, yeah. The end something happened with the software and the engine shut down. Excellent. Bloody software. Yeah, it's <laughs> quite a <laughs> I was very privileged. I went to the Avalon Air Show about three years ago and I walked through a, a C-17 and I thought, what a great home. You could you know, have a two-story apartment in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing, eh? You see the ladder up to the, the flight deck from the yeah. back. <laughs> it's, it's almost scary to climb. <laughs> yeah. Extraordinary plane. Yeah, amazing, really. Uh, a couple of um, things that have come up just recently. I've seen on uh, come up on Facebook is uh, is uh, airfields for sale in New Zealand, and one of them was uh, Walkworth Airfield came up on Trade Me. Uh, I think it's been removed now, so I don't know whether somebody's bought it. But uh, you don't often see airfields for sale, like you know, not New Zealand, not New Zealand. And and the other one uh, I just saw in the last couple of days is an airfield on Waiheke Island that's come up for sale. So yeah. I did a lot of flying out of that strip. It's a bloody good strip, actually. Which okay. one did you say? Was that Reeves? Yeah, Reeves. Because yeah. uh, the other one closed. It's got, you know, you wouldn't want to land there now because uh, it's got vines all over it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Those bloody wooden posts don't do wings much good. No. Fun at all. That people, was, tell you what, I used to a, land there uh, occasionally at the other one when I was a younger fella. And uh, you could almost say you wouldn't want to land there then, just in the normal way, because it was an interesting airstrip to get in and out of on in certain I, days. I finished my training on that strip with my last instructor by the name of George Richardson, who was an X-747 captain. Yep. And uh, um, I, I worked very hard in keeping you know, my life together. And the, the greatest inspiration to maintain control on that strip was you on finals, you went over the cemetery. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, you thought, I want to go there, not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was real neat though. When it was, yeah, yeah, it was an interesting experience, wasn't it? it was quite good, yes. good learning exercise going in there. Yeah. I think uh, Motor Holdings bent a two hundred six on that strip and stopped flights to that strip after that. Yeah, that that sounds right from memory. Yeah. 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 I also noticed this week. Uh, the news came out that uh, Jim Pierce had died uh, on the 26th of July. He's uh, the English gentleman who went to Russia and pulled out loads and loads of wrecks of World War II aircraft. 
uh, and re- he recovered a, a Focke-Wulf 189. Yep. Um, yep. Several Stukas and Hurricanes. And, hurricanes, didn't he? That's right. Yep. 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 P40s, B- BF-110s, uh, and Sturmovics. And, you know, quite a few of those aircraft are now flying, including um, the Hurricane that was here in New Zealand is what, was one that he pulled out. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he, he did a lot for uh, historic aviation, that chap. He was 87. So, yes, sad to see his uh, his death reported. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't seen it, to be truthful. But, yeah, I certainly remember the hurricane in particular. Yeah, quite, uh, yeah he was pretty prolific with what he got hold of, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. And you may remember there was a lot of um, a lot of wrecks came to uh, Alpine Fighter Collection. Uh, in fact, I think um, I think some of the, the Russian stuff, too, the, the Polikarpovs might have been um, brought out by him as well. And you know the, there was there were three hurricanes I think that came to New Zealand, uh, and then eventually Sir Tim Wallace set up um, Hawker Restoration with um, uh, AJD Engineering. He went in with them and yeah, yeah. Uh, created that. And now look at how many there's like sixteen or seventeen hurricanes flying in the world now, and it's really down to that that company setting up and getting those things back in the air so it's fantastic yeah that's right he, he um, certainly made his mark didn't he did you say it was 87 mm. when he passed away yeah yeah 87 well done so well done. Yeah. and what do you guys think of the news that's come out again because i actually saw it about two or three months ago first uh, about the pacific aerospace um pac 750 over in north korea <laughs> any views yeah. on that yeah, well, it sounds like they knew it was there too. Reading the paper, it wasn't initially they said, well, they sold it to someone in China and they didn't know it was then on sold to North Korea. But then they, there were some emails came out about some faults on the airplane and they, they knew very well it was in North Korea. So, oh, right. So, yeah. well, the, the Russians have been selling missile engines to North Korea, um, older ones, but ones that work extraordinarily well. Um, so yeah, I mean, what what do you do? I, I suppose a, a, a that particular type of aircraft was to throw meatballs out of. Do you think? Or <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure what what they're doing with it, but um, I, I I don't know whether there should be so much fuss being made of it because a customer is a customer, and you know it's it's. Um, it's it's hardly going to be used to you know attack an American ship or anything like that. So no, yeah. well it's, it's hard once you've sold something and then someone else on sells it. I mean, exactly. how far do you go back? It's yeah, but exactly, exactly. And so yeah, I think there's a it's a bit of a media beat up, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I, I think it's it's not the biggest thing we've got to worry about with North Korea. Don't we? That's right. That's right. That's right. It would be easy to turn it into a bit of. Uh, sort of uh, highlighted news when the reality is it probably didn't start that way in the first place. Timing might have been an issue too. I mean, how long ago the deal was done? could have been a long time ago and people wouldn't have even be considering some of the ramifications then. And That's right. Yeah, so you're right, media beat-up is probably where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I um, spotted in the media just today actually was um, the Transport Minister Simon Bridges was talking about new deals with uh, air links coming up for New Zealand. There's a lot a lot more flights are going to be coming in and out of New Zealand from China but it turns out um, two new air routes that 
that have been looked at, they've been uh, requested uh, with New Zealand is Angola and Myanmar. <laughs> Honestly, I, I would never have considered Angola as a destination. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it would make you wonder why, but of course, I, I suppose there's been a request and or um, there's trade in some direction there. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, I know that Myanmar is, uh, you know, also known as Burma, is trying to become a lot more friendly with the Western world, yeah. and so it's not so not surprising that they'll be trying to get uh, air links set up. But I, Angola was quite a surprise. <laughs> yeah, that's right, unusual. They've, but, oh, they've you know. diamond mines there, don't they? I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So yeah. maybe um, maybe some direct business there for old. Um, What's his name? Michael Hill? <laughs> <laughs> Never know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> One of the great things that, uh, that I've um, been following in the news, and the, uh, particularly on Facebook and, and, and uh, other social media in the last week or two, has been Oshkosh. Oh, yeah. It, hasn't it been great? Yeah. Oh, Nika. Yeah. Amazing place. Oh. Yeah, amazing, amazing event. Yeah. Oh, I so wish I could have been there and, and seeing the things like the all the B twenty five um, Mitchells that they got up to yeah. uh, commemorate the seventy fifth anniversary of the uh, the Doolittle Road, yeah, the Doolittle Road, yeah, uh, with um, with Dick Cole there himself, and yeah, he actually got up and he got up and flew one of the aircraft yeah, as a co pilot. Yeah, pretty cool, incredible. Hundred and one years old, and he and he's had a flight, just had a flight, in the co pilot seat where he was on the road so and um the other thing that was really neat to see was the two uh uh b29s together in the air uh fifi and doc yeah, yeah that was that was beautiful <laughs> yeah as was the the b52 the b1 and the b2 that formation was pretty cool too yeah definitely the modern stuff uh, have you have any of you guys actually been to oshkosh yeah uh, no, no, it's on my list. But. No, I haven't. Yeah, I was hoping to go next next run as well, but um, oh, I can't remember when I went. It was about 2010, I think. Okay. Uh, somewhere back there. And, um, yeah, amazing place. 13,000 parked aircraft. How's that? Wow. Ooh, amazing. Just amazing. Planes in New Zealand or three and a half, something like that. I don't know. I, so, yeah, it's, I, I it's quite a fast it. thing. Yeah. I saw a thing uh, on the social media uh, about the... Uh, air traffic controllers, and there was about I don't know about eight or nine of them in the control tower, and yeah. and all volunteers. Do you see that? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's an amazing Mate. place. That's a cool way to do it if you're a Kiwi. If you've got any skills, go over there and put yourself on the volunteer list because they've got yeah. oh, I remember a couple of thousand volunteers that operate there and they really look after you. It's great. I've never done it, but I've had friends that have, and it's an right, yeah. awesome way to be involved in the place. Yeah. Yeah, same for the Royal International Air Tattoo, REAT. Um, yeah, if you can get into the volunteer team there, it's the same. They accommodate you on base, they feed you, um, yeah, they get looked after very well, and then they, they get assigned to a flight line, and you know, it could be anything, yeah. you know, F-15s, 16s, etc. Uh, uh, Glenn Turner, X-75 squadron, he goes every year. Uh, yep. And he's, he's been doing it, I think, for at least 15 years. And, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, the environment's quite um, just unusual. It's usually uh, stinking hot. And, um, 
yeah, it's, it's a real eye-opener the whole week. It's just it's pretty impressive, all right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. They don't do things by halves over there, the, the Americans. <laughs> they know how to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. I, quite a few years ago, I used to go, every Thursday night, used to go around to this mate's place who's a, 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 a muso and a Harley-Davidson owner, and about... Uh, 12 of his mates would come around in the Harleys and they were going on and on about how wonderful the Harley was and everything. So I went down to Macar and I had a, uh, a relatively recent digital recording of a BF109 with the Daimler-Benz engine. <laughs> and uh, this, uh, this muso had a huge stereo system and I, I put it on and I said to him, um, turn it turn it up so the spouting rattles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he redlined it and it's this, yeah, I'll try and do it. And it was like, you know, you could hear the flywheel going like this, and then, and then you had a German flug works or pilot, and he goes, "I can happen," something like that, and then it goes, <laughs> "Well, these guys just went nuts," and from that day on, every time they went round to his place on Thursday night, they'd all put a hundred dollars in a big jar, and I think two years ago they all went to Oshkosh. Yeah, wow. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, they couldn't believe that you know that's an engine, <laughs> you know. Well, plus, just down the road's the Harley factory too, mate. About sixty miles away. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, when really? you find a car go and drive one up, you pass the Harley factory. It's very cool. It's got a museum there and everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of uh, big fly-ins, uh, there's one coming up here in New Zealand, we mentioned it on the last uh, the forum show, I just want to mention it again to keep it in people's minds and that's um, the Brody family's 100th anniversary fly-in at Rangitata Island um, coming up next month So, uh, are any of you guys uh, planning to go to that? Not me um, unfortunately, but I did spot it and thought that would be a very cool meet, yes Yeah, definitely If I was going to go way, in a uh, car, not everyone uh, in, in Alexandra this uh, September uh, on the Blossom Festival weekend, they're having a, a Wings and Wheels show up at the Alexandra Airport. And right. there's something like 80 aircraft coming in. Uh, the Air Force have said yes. Is it the Black Falcons? They're, they're going yep. to be doing yep. something. Uh, awesome. And the runway is, you know, uh, quite long um, and, and uh, can take all these wonderful aircraft. Um, yeah, I saw a Hercules land up there the other day. Wow. So, but I noticed he didn't turn around. He landed and then reversed back to the other end of the runway. Okay. Because yeah. it can't take, you know, the, wheel, the wheel's a small, heavy aeroplane and the tarmac's not built for it, but it's okay if they don't turn around. All oh, right. But anyway... Well, it's still pretty good, air, pretty good um, surface, though, eh? Yeah, it is, yeah. And it's going mad up there. People are building hangar houses. There's a fly-in motel on the airport now. Uh, it, it's it's really being developed. The local council are really pushing the place. How many local aircraft live there, mate? Do you know? Oh, I would say probably ten or fifteen. Uh, and, and climbing. I mean, there's an L29 jet there now, and there's another one apparently coming in. And um, yeah, a lot of because people are being thrown out of uh, Queenstown, thrown out of Wanaka, so <coughs> the overflow is coming here. Yeah, the, the built-up areas are getting tighter for aircraft um, anywhere, actually. But uh, the uh, that sounds uh, pretty positive. Sounds like a good bit of growth. Sure it does. Yeah. Sounds great. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Cool. Um, as we're recording this, we're recording on the 6th of August, and tomorrow 
it will be the 75th anniversary since the landing uh, by the U.S. Marines on Guadalcanal on the 7th of August 1942, mm. and I, th I just thought it was worth marking because uh, by the 8th uh, of August they had um, captured the unfinished runway that, that they named uh, Henderson Field, yeah. and uh, of course the Cactus Air Force formed on Henderson Field, and um, uh, the RNZF eventually became part of that, but... Uh, and of course, uh, the the war to take on the Japanese was basically from there onwards, um, taking it right to them. So yeah, it was a hinging point, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. Yeah, it really was. So uh, a really big um, anniversary there. Yeah, my, yeah. my father operated out of Guadalcanal uh, um, late late forty three, I think it was. Okay. Yep. Uh, and uh, uh, Corsairs. Right, yeah. that would have been forty-four then. Uh, oh, no, the that's right. He did two tours of duty in in, in uh, Kitty Hawks, and but I think that was in the Solomons. Oh, yep, yep. Well, that'd be, yeah, that'd be right. That, he probably would have been uh, at Guadalcanal with the Kitty Hawks too. So, all right, mm, cool. Yeah, yeah it's a good good uh, reminder. It doesn't hurt to get the map out and actually have a look at some of these places, and then you realise how bloody close the Japanese had come to New Zealand and Australia, it yeah. really well, was uh, yeah. close. Yep, absolutely. I mean, they were they were bombing uh, uh, New Caledonia, and uh, and they had they had ships shelling New Caledonia. So that was really the next step to Fiji, mm. and yeah. you know Fiji was the next step to New Zealand. So um, it was pretty grim. Um, have you guys got any news? Uh, have you found any news items? Yeah, I've got one, Dave. It, uh, it was one I jotted down even before it was announced last week, and that was the Singapore F-16s that are coming to Ahakia um, in September. Right. Um, yeah, I heard about it a few months ago, but I was sworn to secrecy, so I hadn't been able to talk about it. But seeing now it's been made public by the Air Force and Ministry of Defence, we can. So that's, that's the beginning of hopefully something much bigger um, next year when... Uh, hopefully, we'll have a large squadron of F 15s based at Ahakia. Brilliant. Yeah. That'll be amazing. Yeah, and they um, they want to do everything. They want to do full you know, practice weapons and live weapons at the, the weapons ranges. So I imagine Kuiper and Wairu and Raumai and possibly even Tekapo down south here will, will um, get turned back into um, you know, air ranges. Wow. So, yeah, that's going to be really cool. And, um, They'll fly day and night, from what I hear. So it'll be pretty uh, spectacular. Those things taking off full afterburner. Do you know? Do you know how many yeah. are being deployed out here, Tom? There's only, I think, six F-16s coming next month, just as part of this trial. But they Oops. were talking about 24 F-15s. So it's an awful lot. 24. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, whether it's that number, who knows? But they're talking hundreds of personnel. Like I think it's about 500 military personnel, if if it all happens as plan so it's going to be big for the Manawatu like they're going to spend a lot of money uh, building stuff infrastructure and facilities they want to extend the runway as well so uh, outstanding, isn't it? it's all good money well, and it's not just one off either it's going to be ongoing revenue so that'll be good for New Zealand in general and, and of course New Zealand aviation if you ask me I mean it'll it'll give everybody the wake-up call that, uh, yeah. that uh, we probably could have used for some decades I reckon yeah yes, and it'll sorry. enable the the Army, Air Force and Navy to actually start training, you know, with fast jets again. We won't have to go overseas to do it. You know, yeah. the SAS will be able to start 
training again in New Zealand and the Navy hopefully as well. So it's yes. got to be positive for us. And the Singaporeans are going to put all the infrastructure back that was torn down by Helen Clark. So if we ever did decide to get back into it, it's going to all be there again. So Is this all uh, completely sewn up though? Because we've got an election coming up. Uh, and, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and all it's of a sudden Labour, Labour may with this new leader may suddenly have a surge in the polls and bring in the Greens and yeah, it might all just go to pots. Yeah, the only thing is the, the Labour MP for Palmerston North, um, he's very supportive of it as, as well. Oh, that's Because they can see the economic benefit for the region. It's going to be huge. Yeah, I would think um, there'd be the twitchiness that goes with an election. But to be honest with you, my opinion would be that this is one of those things that either side would take up because it's how can it be harmful to us? Uh, e economically, it can't be. Um, well, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And and also Singapore itself is a friendly nation to most yes. people. So, yes. uh, you know, they're not they're not sort of uh, apartheid against one or the other and make us look like a target or anything like that. So, no. that's right. They're a um, the right sort of ally, aren't they? Yes. So, uh, is, no, is it? Is it uh, a training uh, scenario just for the Singaporean Air, Air Force, or are our people going to be involved in the training as well? No, it's just Singapore doing their own thing, I think. Um, I guess over time they may you know, have larger exercises which will involve potentially Australia and other countries maybe, but I think it's pretty much just Singapore. They, they tend to do this around the world. They, they yeah. embed units all over the world. They've got them in the States, France, Australia already. Yeah. Um, and they tend to just do their own thing, but when there's an exercise on, I think they do tend to sort of share their um, training facilities and equipment. Well, I guess there must be potential too for uh, uh, exchanges of, of personnel so that some of the Kiwis can go onto the, the F-15 squadrons. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty unlikely. They, they tend to be quite secretive. And they, the, okay. the kit that Singaporeans have got is, is actually top of the line it's um, pretty, pretty high, yeah. high level stuff and yeah i think they're pretty yeah careful about who they let look at it okay okay mm. it's going to be interesting times though yeah, yeah. well and, and this september f-16 is just sort of a trial i guess to to see what the facilities are hockey are like and whether they're suitable and what they need to do to, to make it bigger you know nice sure. to see the vault and the rocks being used as a range again <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so though. I think it's it's um, no. handed back it's a marine reserve and that now, so I think it's, yeah, it's yeah, right. a bit hard to get it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. But I I can still I can still imagine we've got some stories all the yeah, you know the stories. <laughs> all, all, all the uses of the Volkner Rocks over the years. Yeah, good fun. Yeah. Anyway. There's a lot of unexpended audience around it. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine. Oh, very cool. That's yeah, it's a good bit of news, isn't it? I think that's very positive for us all. That yeah. Another piece of news I got from down Christchurch is at the moment we've got the NASA um, seven four seven Sophia is, is its name, which stands for the Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy. Um, if you I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a seven four seven SP, the little stubby short one, um, and they've modified it to put this massive telescope in the back of it with a. A, a door that opens in, in flight and then they use the telescope to to look at the stars and it's an infrared telescope it's not a an optical one um but we, we went out and had a look at it last year um yeah it's, it's a very old airplane i think it's the last flying 747 sp in the world 
but the modifications they've done uh, to make this big uh, unpressurized compartment in the back half of it uh, with a, a sliding door that opens up, it's, yeah, it's amazing technology. Uh, and they, they, yeah, they come down here every year and they fly down into the Southern Ocean. The flights are about 10 hours long and they get away up high so they're away from any dust. Dust is the thing they're trying to get away from by coming down here and flying up high. Uh, and then, then they can use this telescope to, to look at the stars. I had the pleasure last year of um, of doing an interview with uh, their media chap, and uh, so that's that's actually in the uh, Wings of New Zealand archive. You can look that up. I, I can't remember the actual um, number of the episode, but I, I can pull it out and stick it in the show notes for this show anyway, um, because that was good. It was really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's quite a piece of technology, and um, yeah, you can't actually go and see the telescope when you go and visit the aeroplane on the ground because it's, it's in a, a special sealed compartment. But you can see the sort of the pivot end of it uh, through the, the fuselage. They've created a, a, another pressure bulkhead. So you, you're in the normal pressurised cabin and then the other side of it is where the telescope is, which is unpressurised. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's all got a hinged um, gyro-stabilised gyro-stabil, um, gimbal system so that they can lock onto a tiny pinpoint of light and and despite turbulence and airplane turning and that this thing just locks on and stays locked on oh. yes. very cool good good gear yeah yeah so is there any other news uh, that you guys have picked up on lately can't say anything as exciting as those ones no. <laughs> no. <laughs> get, get it on <laughs> I've got one more. <laughs> I did a hog one, right? But yes. our Skyhawks have turned 50 this month, or the That's oldest right. of our Skyhawks. So um, the A4Gs, the original A4Gs, were built in June, July 1967. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're all flying, well, most of them still with Draken in the States. So they've all turned over 50. So that's a pretty big milestone and uh, pretty amazing that they're still flying. There wouldn't be too many aircraft, like jet fighter attack aircraft, that are that are still flying at fifty years old doing the same job. No, no, that's I'd be interested to know how many there are others around. But yeah, that these are you know, the the older ones, older variants because they were you know, built during the Vietnam War, so they're not the later A four N versions like the Israeli ones, which are a little bit newer. But what did, what did, what did the RGs have? Uh, their original ones were even older, there, but they have all been retired now. So the ones the RG still fly the based on the A4M or N, which was the last variant built. So the yeah they they, they were, were built seventies. Very effective in Bomb Alley. Yeah, and it's interesting yes. that despite you know the the sort of twilight of their careers around the world, there's more and more talk of them being used for this contract support flying like. Um, I saw an article today, um, there's this company that's talking about uh, having a, a, a renegade air force in Afghanistan to support uh, you know, bombing the Taliban, and that, I saw in that article they're talking about Skyhawks, I don't know where they're coming from, but it did have a photo of Draken's aircraft, or our old aircraft. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, and there's talk of them coming back to Nara over in Australia as well to do fleet support again, and so... It's amazing that they still just run on, you know, the old slogan, A4s forever. It's, it's true at the moment. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, very cool. A little bit like the Hurk, aren't they? They're just a yeah. pretty, pretty yeah, good model. And I guess as long as the engine's supportable and there's still parts around it, they'll keep using them. And the engine is still supportable because the US Navy is still flying a variant in the EA6 um, Prowler, Growler. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's going to be retired pretty soon, I think. So So do they yeah. use J55? J52s, yeah. J52s, sorry. And Safe Air is still overhauling, well, not Safe Air now, Airbus, but Blenheim is still overhauling the engine. So. I think they're the only um, non-military facility that's overhauling the engines. There's still a, a military one in the States doing them, but they only do them for other militaries. They don't do them for civilian aircraft. Yeah. So safety well, slash Airbus is uh, you're helping keep them going, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, wow. Sounds promising. It does. Well, um, I just want to finish this segment by uh, just saying that the the first episode of the forum, which I did uh, just over a month ago with uh, Bruce Cook, Alistair Marshall, and uh, Peter McQuarters, um, I'm just really pleased how it turned out and the amount of feedback I got from it too, because I wasn't really sure of what I was doing with this format and have, you know having a panel like we've got with you guys talking, um, and it seemed to work really well, and I got I got some really good feedback from. Um, a number of people and I just want to you know say thanks to those people in particular uh, Peter Johnson uh, John Saunders Justin Harris Don Sims uh, Grant McCarran Maggie Ryan Campbell McGill Peter Lewis Jason Mills and Matt Austin who all um, gave me some really good feedback so um, it's it's good to know that people are listening and enjoying the, uh, the, the this new format and we'll probably try and keep it going uh, which is why we're recording this, really. Mm. No, it's been it's entertaining, and I'm sure it will continue. There's, there's so many interesting people out there in, in aviation, so if we can get them to speak and tell us the stories, that's what we want. Exactly, and all of all of the guests that I've had on uh, that first show and this show, you've all been on the show before, so you're kind of familiar with uh, with it. But I think in future I'll try and get a few uh, newbies as well. So um, uh, I, I know. Um, I've got a few people in mind for the next one, which will probably be in September, I think, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. But, um, yeah, we'll we'll just uh, keep on going as long as people are keen to listen. So I- anyone out here, out there who's listening who's got uh, feedback or ideas or suggestions, um, send them in. Thank you. Mm. Good on you, Dave. Yeah, good oh, on thanks. you, Dave. Thanks for organising it. It's oh, a pleasure. We'll get on to the next bit, which is... Uh, the guest spot, and that's uh, you guys talking about your own happenings at the moment in, in aviation and, and what, what you're up to, what your projects are, or um, what's keeping you busy, or what's just on your mind. And I'll start with Don. Um, what's what's happening with you lately? Um, well, a wee project I've got on the go is sort of to do with the, the Skyhawks turning 50. Um, I've, I've been researching for years the US Navy Skyhawks that Australia purchased and then we purchased and are now with Draken. So that was Skyhawks uh, 15, 16, 17 and 18. Um, and I've been yeah, trying to get some photographs of them in US Navy service when they were you know, off Vietnam and dropping bombs for real. Um, right. And yeah, a few weeks ago I struck gold and managed to find a guy who had uh, colour slides. Um, so I've yeah got some photos and he's promised me some more, but yeah that's awesome just to make that connection. Um, Fantastic. So yeah, I'm, as part of that building a model uh, 148 kit 
of a, a Skyhawk. And I'm going to use 18 as the one because it was the last single-seat Skyhawk built for the U.S. Navy and the last A4F model. So I'm going to build one of it in U.S. Navy service, Australian Navy service, RNZF, and then Draken. So I'm going to need four kits, but to show it, it's sort of it's life cycle. So that's that's my wee project at the moment. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, really good to, to find those photos. Yeah, I've been looking for literally 20 or 30 years when I was still in the Air Force. I started searching for them and just never found any. And then yeah, the internet's a great thing. It's just opened up all the stuff is available now and it's, it's, it's there if you look. Oh, that's true. That's true. I, I've actually got um, I've got a special request for you, Don. I, I think I um, oh, mentioned the, it you wanted last week. to know about the plug barrel roll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, ca- it came up recently on the uh, the Airplane Geeks podcast um, talking about um, aircraft refueling each other during an air show and they were talking about it and uh, of course some feedback that was sent into them from quite a few people was about the Skyhawks doing it, and there, there was the question of were they actually passing, well, as they say in America, passing gas? <laughs> <laughs> were they were they passing fuel between each other during the air show? And so I asked on the um, on the Facebook page for uh, RNZF and Royal Australian Navy Skyhawks, uh, were they? And a few people said no, and then you came up with some information that they were later uh, uh, so can you can you give us the yep so if we get the details sort of go to the beginning um the, the plugged barrel roll was invented in new zealand yeah, at ahakia in 1983 um when semi Squadron was forming an aerobatic team and john lanham was the ceo at the time um, and yeah i'm not sure exactly whose idea it was but they must have talked about something they could do that was different and someone came up with the idea of well let's do a, a plugged barrel roll so that was yeah when it started uh, and then from then on it really it was just the, the party trick for the, the 75 squadron or two squadron um, aeros teams throughout the years so fuel was never actually transferred during the display as such when they were doing the, the barrel roll uh, but and during the Kiwi Red era, when uh, you know, there were six jets and one of them had a buddy store on because part of it was the plug barrel roll, uh, to make the smoke for the jets, they had to have a diesel tank. Um, and because the buddy store you know, wasn't meant to have diesel on it, but they still put diesel in it and plumbed it up to produce the white smoke. Um, but it meant that you didn't want to be sucking diesel down the probe of the receiver aircraft <laughs> into the fuel system. Although it probably was still burnt. Um, but so yeah, it had to be plumbed in a way so it couldn't do that, um, but still produced the smoke out the back of the, the tanker aircraft. Uh, but later on, when you know, we were doing air shows down at Wanaka at Easter and, and other places, and they'd do them from a Hakia, and so they'd have to air to wear refuel the, the single seat solo aircraft because it would, would only have internal fuel. Um, so usually as part of the display, they do an air-to-air refueling demonstration, you know, a couple of passes with the uh, solar aircraft plugged in and actually transferring fuel to the, the solar aircraft, and then they do the plug barrel roll. Uh, whether they actually were transferring at the time of the plug barrel roll, I don't, don't know. But, yeah, the, the potential was there for sure. Good. Right. Keen. Mm. And, and there were actually a few times where they did a double um, plug barrel roll, so they had two. Uh, buddy store equipped aircraft with the hoses out so you'd have three aircraft connected together 
Um, there was very, yeah, various variations of it done. They did four ship um, barrel rolls with you know, two of them plugged together. Oh, wow. Yeah. But unfortunately, of course, it all came to a, a terrible end over in Nara when they were practicing in 2001 to, to, to do it and had that horrible accident, um, which was yeah, very unfortunate. And actually, in, the, in that case, both those aircraft that were doing it had buddy stores, and again, it was the same scenario. They were going to be using the buddy stores on two aircraft to refuel the solo aircraft to get it down to Avalon to the air show and then back to Nara without landing. Um, so the scenario there was a little bit complicated just because of the range and distance that they had to go and get back. Um, so they needed two aircraft with buddy stores. Um, and then the two that were going to do the plug barrel roll just happened to have both their buddy stores on as well as two 300-gallon drop tanks. So they were actually very heavy, very draggy, um, which you know, was a contributing factor to the accident as well. So were they actually doing the barrel roll when Murray Nelson hit the yep. ground? Yep. Yeah, yeah they, would, they would do it. They did the they went over the top and started you know, coming back down descending, but they were too low and the, the, the technique for the barrel roll was yeah, done badly and they ended up very nose low coming pulling out of it and just didn't have enough you know, clearance to pull out the bottom. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, the leader didn't, Muzz, just didn't have enough room. He was uh, just a little bit lower than the other aircraft and uh, the other aircraft pulled out in the tops of the trees. Wow. So it could have been doubly as bad. Uh, it nearly, nearly was, yeah. It was very close. I've seen the hut tape and it's, it's pretty scary. Wow. Well, thank you very much for filling in the details there, Don. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone else in the world that's ever done it. I think we were the only ones that have ever done you know, that, that plugged used rear refuel. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, uh, what's happening in your aviation world? Well, uh, not nearly as exciting as Don's. Um, or I'm sure Andrew, when, when he speaks, but um, I uh, have spent the last five years in Australia where I had uh, lunch with you, Dave, um, yes. in Melbourne, um, and uh, it, I didn't do any flying over there because, uh, you know, wasn't uh, really in a position to, especially with regard to the license scenario and Australian law and all that sort of thing. And I came back here a year ago and thought, you know, that I'll get back into it, but I was grossly overweight. And um, uh, I don't think I would have been allowed to fly in a, uh, even a microlight. Um, bloody thing couldn't have lifted off. Um, so I, uh, I, over the last year, got into exercise, gyms, etc., and lost 20 kilos uh, so that I would have a chance of passing any sort of medical. And I've been doing a few hours dual up at the Alexandra in a 172 uh, with Nick Taylor, fabulous uh, instructor, um, real cool guy. And, uh, and the other thing I've been done, as you know, is started uh, playing crazy people. And there are yes. now over 3,000 members and uh, climbing, uh, so to speak. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, my, my ambition is to get back into flying uh, as my fiscal uh, scenario improves, and it is. So, yeah, there's a bit of brightness and a bit of light at the end of the old, um, uh, you know, clouds. Well, that's fantastic, and congratulations on losing the 20 kilos. That's a, that's a big uh, big achievement there, and it's great that you're back in the aircraft. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about uh, the near future. 
sorry. Uh, I really enjoy the uh, the playing crazy people. Of course, it's, uh, it's so much good stuff comes up there. Look, yeah, I, look, I'm I'm really pleased with the way members are contributing and and uh, like your good self and uh, so uh, guys, Don, Andrew, join playing crazy people and um, and put up your bits and bobs. Uh, we'd all like to see some stuff from you guys. Yeah, I'm on there. I just I haven't posted on there, don't Oh, right. Yeah, I am too, actually, Peter. But yeah, yeah. Now keep up the good work, mate, in that area. Yeah, will do. It's it's good good stuff. And cl the classic uh, fighter scenario. Uh, Andrews have got a lot, you know, to offer. Playing crazy people. You got some beautiful airplanes there, and it's a good way of advertising as well. Yeah, exactly. Must um, partake a bit more often there, Peter. I'd appreciate that, sir. Cool. And uh, that goes for all the listeners too. Go. Go, go and uh, have a look at Plane Crazy, join up. Um, I'll put the link into the show notes as well, of course. Um, you, you've um, you've recently shifted towns, haven't you, Peter? I'm about to go and live in Greymouth, and I'm getting into real estate. Oh, really? Yeah, because I've been, I've been doing community radio here in uh, Alexandra for about a year and decided that... Uh, and, and the driving force is climbing... is, is flying um, to... to you know, I mean, being an actor and a and a radio guy, you don't make a lot of tin, uh, unless you're uh, Mike Hoskins, and I'm not that arrogant. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, so I'm moving to Greymouth, and I see this the airfield's right in the middle of the town. And it's great. Right, yeah. And what's the airfield yeah, so, like, mate? Hey. And what's the airfield there like? It's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's um, you know, uh, I think. Bandarantes used to go in there. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's very handy. So, I'll so is there a, is there an air club there? Or yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's all there, uh, and uh, and so I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, fantastic. Well, good luck. Thank you. There's some cheap coal coal mines going there, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> And and gold, you know, yeah. a lot of little, little uh, mines opening up that are doing the gold thing again. Yeah. Yeah, the cool. price, price has gone up. But anyway, See here. onwards and upwards. Sounds like a flying visit to the thing, isn't it? Yes. So, uh, Andrew, I, I think you've probably got the biggest news uh, to talk about. Um, we've been following for about a month or so on uh, the Wings Over New Zealand forum the amazing... Um, Initial, initially it was amazing news and, and now it's just the progress has been fantastic with uh, Classic Flyers Museum uh, securing Grumman Avenger NZ2539 and uh, uh, it's already well underway with its uh, restoration. So can you tell us the story of that please? Well, I'm very humbled by your description there Dave. Um, we uh, take it in our stride but we're very pleased to have, have uh, the aircraft arriving here in a piecemeal fashion, yeah, no problem. Um, a while back, of course, we did uh, one eight, the um, um, sorry, two five, the uh, gaps aircraft, and we've got it here in store, and we run it, you know, once a month, and fold the wings out, and having a lot of fun with our airplane. Um, very happy about it. What what the guys have produced over two years, considering it was in um, oh, you know, just a parked up average state, and. Yep. 
the Gaps guys were needing a bit of a hand, and they're a really good crew down there, and they're they're sort of getting fired up and going ahead. And uh, we were pleased to be able to sort of have a go at that. And because of all that discussion and, and marketplace uh, badgering, I suppose, we uh, were looking for Avenger bits everywhere. You listening, Don? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for more now, mate. Anyway, um, the guys got involved with this one. That We'd seen pictures of it hanging from its posts under the trees um, up there in Auckland, out west for some time and after a bit of pushing pulling and then a bit of connection levels um, the owners agreed to form an agreement with us to restore it in the same manner as we've done with the gap one so that's fantastic yeah, it is fantastic we're very pleased it's the last of the um, playground avengers i suppose there were three of them out there and uh, there's there's no more left and this one's in oh in some ways, better condition than the Gaps one, and in and in some uh, facets of it are worse. So, um, oh no, we're really pleased to acquire that, and, and the boys have launched straight on it. They can't help themselves; they're into it like uh, the proverbial fat rats, you know. Yeah. So, does it does it still actually belong to the original owner, and yes. it's going to be, be in the museum on their behalf, sort of thing? It is. They're a family that have been amongst aviation for um, well since right through the war and everything. Um, and uh, it's uh, and collected lots and lots and lots of pieces and things um, since the war. And this is the type of thing that they eventually pulled from the playground in Openaki um, as part of that whole scheme plan, if you like. Um, and they they don't really wish a whole lot of publicity out of it. But at the end of the day, they're certainly happy to see the aircraft turning from just a, a stored and sort of uh, rusting item to um, well, see if we can make it as good as the other one. I think we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the results of the other one. In such a short space of time, um, yeah. your team did miracles with that, and it's it's fantastic. It almost looks like it could fly. So, um, you know, I, I, I've got full confidence now that that the, the new aircraft is definitely with the right team because uh, you can see the enthusiasm too. Every day I've been getting uh, photo updates sent from Mike Feist and uh, uh, from um, Peter Lane uh, of various things that are happening there and I've been putting them up onto the thread for them. Um, and, you know, already that thread that thread on the on the forum is uh, uh, very, very popular and it's it's uh, attracting a lot of attention. Yeah, it's a... It's a true barn find, I suppose you could say, in, in Kiwi aviation terms. And it's very, um, you know, it's all reliably historic as far as uh, as far as its um, history is concerned here in New Zealand. So we're pretty pleased because it's exactly what we do for a living, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the intention is not to take it from anybody as such. Um, that's the difficulty with some of these things out there. They, they seem to end up uh, taken away and... Um, we're the opposite. We want to drag it out of the dark areas they live in, these, some of these things, and bring them forward so people can see them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so, um, yeah, it's a good it's a good project. Mm. So what uh, sort of major parts are you missing from the project? Well, we've got, um, it's engine bits we're really uh, looking for. Don, the, um, uh, anything we can get our hands on, you know, might help us. It's It's got a fairly nice interior. All the bulkheads and frames inside are in pretty good order. But, um, you know, the usual bits that go crusty fast, the turret bits and windscreen bits, uh, any hingy bits, 
the centre section itself is, is fairly rotten, though we will resurrect a lot of it. Um, wings are in good order, all the all the tail surfaces and things like that are in good order. But engine parts, we want to put another running engine in it, not a not a flyable running engine, but um, we've only got about we've got about three part engines, which will probably by the time it's finished make a bunch of spare bits plus uh, three quarters of an engine. So that's where we're aiming. If we could find somebody that can help us with um, R2600 bits, we certainly would like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we've got a propeller for it either. That's another one that's always a problem. But, uh, oh, right. Yeah. So there's been a lot of uh, discussion from people saying, oh, we'd love to see it in a target tug scheme, ah. a post-war scheme oh, yes. at war. Uh, I guess it's way down the track yet before you even have to start thinking about that. But what, what are your views? Well, funny enough, I was one of the guys that sort of moved that in front of everybody. I said, hey, guys. And the, <laughs> the crew were out there, and a lot of them rolled their eyes and looked at me and said, what are you doing? Because a target tug <laughs> won't have a um, turret on the back. And right. we've got some pretty good turret parts for it that we'd form a turret from. And, of course, they look really cool with the turret on and the 50 cal in there and all that sort of stuff. Um, but... The uh, the paint scheme, the yellow and black, um, which this aircraft had, um, I thought it was very unique. And, of course, if you built a turret, you could always build a turret separately and put it beside it and even get, get clever and, and electrify the thing up so it actually operates and swivels and, and traverses and things. And I thought that might be even more interesting to do that and have this aircraft in its original towing scheme. Um, yeah. And, and very, very unusual. I would suspect you'd see pictures of that all around the planet, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But it was just, oh. it was just a, you know, as I threw it, threw it into the crowd and said, boys, it's up to you. I mean, you guys do the work. Um, and, and, of course, the owners of it, we've got to consider what they would think was nice. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, during the war, uh, quite a number of the, um, the Avengers were converted to towing uh, targets for, for the likes of the Kitty Hawks and the Corsairs uh, while the war was still on. And I think those ones actually still had their turrets. You could be right. Fact, so yeah. So there's a happy medium there, maybe. Actually, you could be dead right. I, I, I didn't know that, to be truthful. But, um, the um, yeah, if there was some answer there, I'd, I'd uh, certainly put that to the guys. Because I just like yeah, colour well, scheme. It was funny, out of, the, out of the 20 guys that I said it in front of, um, two of them went, oh, that's ugly. And then some of them went, oh, it's pretty unique, though. And I went, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Who knows? I don't know the answer. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of variations, too, on those uh, on those target tug colours because over the years, they, they there was the original ones, they were in their original blue colour uh, that they came in, you know, the, yep. the navy colour, with, with yellow from sort of the turret back so that all the tail and, and rear fuselage is bright yellow. Had the flash on it, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and then... Um, and then there was some that had the yellow and black stripes like a bumblebee, which they look really cool. And and then there was some that had silver uh, and yellow and black stripes. So, you know, there's panels of silver, panels of yellow and black. Um, well, as you'd have seen photos so, on this particular one, she was had the yellow and black uh, diagonal stripes. And exactly. Exactly. I, I think... Yeah, I think that looks fantastic in the in the all over. And, uh, you know, quite a few aircraft flew in those colours. Um uh, not just Avengers. I, I know there was a, at least two um, Hudsons that wore that yellow and black stripe as well, and there was Oxfords that um, that wore them too. And there's there's none 
represented in New Zealand. So um, it'd be quite cool to see. Well, I'm I'm pretty keen at the air show next year. We'll have that out, but of course, it won't have a paint job next to it by then. But um, we'll have that old uh, airframe there. And um, you know, in its partially restored sort of state, and we'll have the flying Avenger one side of it, and our other Avenger the other side of it. So Brilliant. make a nice little picture, won't it? It will, won't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Anyway, you're getting your own little so air force there. Yeah, Avengers never would have thought it, eh? But <laughs> it, it'll be cool to see you know three completely restored ones. I I suspect a. a um, a yellow and black one amongst two Pacific blue ones would look pretty pretty neat, wouldn't it? I don't know. Well, the other thing too is two of them are actual uh, Grumman built ones, TBF one Cs, and uh, uh, those are rare as hen's teeth around the world. Yeah, so they're yeah pretty nice artifacts, really, as far as our scene is concerned. Eh, that's what I thought anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Boys are pleased. So, yeah. Can you can you tell us more about the uh, the air show? Um, when when's it coming up? And and uh, just to get that into people's minds yeah sure and thank you for asking the um uh it's on saturday january the 20th which is the day before the wanganui guys have their open day as well uh there's oh, yep. they're on sunday the 21st so there's a few aircraft that are lapping through here to there um and uh you know our, our classics of the skies we call it um we're uh hoping to see a few interesting things of which i'll mention one or two but not all of them um the cat, of course, should be with us. We're hoping to see that because it's only just beginning to get going again, all around the all around the traps. Um, but uh, the black falcons, with a bit of luck, they'll show up. Um, Correct. Yep. And um, of course, uh, Brendan's Avenger. We want that here for this photo shoot I'm talking about, um, yep. and various other bits and pieces, and some of the usual ones that we see. We're aiming for a ground theme of. Uh, we've got some pyros back into the picture this time round. And so we're aiming for a bit of a, uh, a shoot 'em up type um, type uh, air show this time, and uh, you know, utilising pyros and a bit more of that, and, and some ground gear, uh, specifically with a bit of luck, some tanks and things like that. So um, yeah, pretty interactive as far as the uh, um, audience are concerned. Very cool. Yeah. Are you looking at um, once again having a sort of evening? Um uh, yeah. facet to it as well like yeah, number four. Our, our standard format we've sort of moved the thing down the day so that it's sort of um, gates open around 1 one thirty, something like that from memory and uh, we finish the show you know start flying at uh, 3 we will have some um, crowd uh, sorry curtain raiser type stuff from 2 onwards and uh, air display starts at 3 finishes at 7 Gives everybody a chance to have a beer and a bite and watch some entertainment on a nice sunny evening, if it's not last year. <laughs> last year was particularly dark. In fact, by 8 o'clock, it was uh, sort of sleety-type rain coming at us. And it was like, whoa. And we, we dodged the bullet. It was really good. Good crowd and everything. But, yeah, it was getting pretty pretty black by the end of the day. Yeah. Anyway, but it was still a good event. We had a good time. Yeah. So what else is happening around the museum at the moment? Well, bits and pieces. I've got a bit of a deal where I'm working on some uh, big old Wessexes at the moment. Don't ask too Ooh. many questions about that, but because uh, they're in the media a bit, or at least the pre previous owner is. Um, and and uh, but that's all good. Um, it looks to me like we might have ourselves some of those showing up shortly. And okay. um, oh, various other restoration jobs. We've got uh, 
several engines coming and going at the moment. I'm looking for a big flat deck truck with a crane on it so we can actually mount some of these bigger ones and run them. Um, we've run quite a few engines. We enjoy the fact that we run things here as, you know, alongside the flying aircraft. We actually like to run some of the engines always, you know, these static running aircraft. Um, Father's Day will have an engine running day out there, so we'll have the Avenger out. The uh, Mackie will pop out and run up because it hasn't run for a while. Um, it's scheduled to. And the um, Kitty Hawk, of course, will run that, and amongst a couple of other things. So uh, there's a fair bit of engine work going on at the moment. We're giving the Sabre a little refurb. It's just getting a, um, a, a small tidy up, and a few of the things we've been wanting to do with that for a year or two. Um, and then, of course, this Avenger comes inside very shortly, sitting outside with bits and pieces being belted on and off it. Yep. And, um, yeah, that's just at the moment. Then we will be sort of um, heading straight into this airshow planning. You know, another couple of months from now, we'll be hitting that pretty hard. Usual story, every year. Mm. January's not that far away, really, is it? <laughs> oh, it sort of swings by pretty quickly. It does, it does. Uh, we, we're going to have to have a forum meet at, um, at Classic Flyers sometime in the near future. Uh, I've been promising it for years, but we will do it um, maybe in the summer. Yeah, sounds um, like a great idea. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be brilliant. I mean, I, I love the museum. I love visiting and, and, you know, catching up with all the friendly people there and seeing all the progress. It's, it's one of those museums that there's always something new every time you visit. So. Yeah. Um, it's it's great what you guys do. Thank you, and we, we enjoy hosting like-minded people. It's great fun. You know that's that's the reason we do it, eh? Because to get involved with everybody who wants to do it. It's good fun. Yeah. So, um, have you uh, uh, other two gents got any questions um, about the museum before we move on to the next section? Uh, I just want to say how wonderful it was to uh, um, contribute to, to the place by making the video, and thank you for that opportunity, Andrew. Oh, no, thank you. It's the other way around, mate. Thank you. It's a very cool video. <laughs> People still comment about it all the time. People make comments yeah. about it all the time. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, well, the... The next uh, section on the agenda here is uh, what's on people's minds, and it's really just an opportunity to raise anything that um, you, you might think needs raising uh, with the public, or, or whether it's anything good or bad, positive, negative, uh, political or legislative, um, highlighting a safety concern or anything like that that has popped up in Kiwi Aviation. So have, have any of you three got anything that's sort of been gnawing away at the back of your minds? I'm, I'm good. Um, I've got a couple. The uh, NZ Airshow Association is growing. We've been um, members or development members of that in the last couple of years, okay. one three years. And that's probably something that needs, well, I suppose, eventually a little bit more exposure in the marketplace. So, sure. uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing because it's uh, as compliance issues are occurring more and more around uh, the world and, of course, New Zealand, um, one of the things is that, that helps solve problems is for people to group up and share information and uh, stop the um, or, or lower the incidence of uh, things occurring that aren't, um, you know, workable. A good example is, you know, when an air show gets sort of mooted out there and then um, it doesn't happen or things don't happen well, we understand how that works. And the association sort of helps with some of the information for people to get uh, these things right, you know. So that's, that's growing just a little bit. 
and it's uh, awareness levels of course we're just starting to you know think about pushing further into um, the marketplace um, it's nice to be a member of them they're a really good bunch and over here um, something I've watched as far as uh, growth is concerned um, the gyroplane growth in New Zealand the whole marketplace is developing very quickly and as it is internationally and um, something a lot of people aren't aware of and uh, that's that's taking off a lot um, alongside all the you know um, RPL based stuff um, and I think that's going to show I, I think New Zealand will be cutting a track and doing some fairly good things in the future as far as the, the gyro guys are concerned. Oh, I'm actually not one, don't worry, you know, don't have any axes to grind or, or barrows to push, but um, I, I can see that uh, developing very rapidly over the next few years, and positively too. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've noticed uh, at fly-ins that I've been to, the likes of Raglan at Black Sands and uh, uh, just, you know, visits to various things at, at uh, Tokofi uh, in Hamilton, uh, more and more of them seem to be turning up to these things, and it's often, um, you know, I often think about that they're just like uh, motorbikes of the sky, really, aren't they? People can just jump in them and fly around the country, and it's fantastic. I think I think that's the biggest thing, and, and up until now, regulators have been a little bit nonplussed as to how to deal with them, but I do believe the manufacturers have got it right. The, get, yeah. the machinery now is of, of a pretty high quality at a very, very cheap price, and, um, and of course, our training regimes and how to acquire them and then how to use them in New Zealand. That's it's another one of those, um, I suppose I call them marketplaces for various reasons, but uh, that's actually just going to take off. Um, yeah. yeah, it's hard to know. It's a bit like the drone industry. That's a thing that's just popped out of nowhere and arrived in front of us, isn't it, really? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, a little bit like that, parallels there, I guess. Mm. Anyway, that was just a couple of things I thought worth mentioning. Yeah, great. Um, Peter, have you got anything? Yes, yes. Um, in, in fact, I'm, you know, I'm I'm anti-political correctness. Um, you know, uh, very much so. Um, some of it we need, like you know, treatment of women and things like that. But a lot of it is just <laughs> surrounding people in cotton wool, no discipline uh, anymore. And so, as a consequence, you've all seen the problems with uh, young people, and you know, tax on dairies, and just the general sort of uh, unhealthy state, uh, I would say, uh, of uh, some of our young people. And here in, in uh, Alexandra, they have quite a strong air cadet squadron. And uh, I've been going up to the airfield, I go up there a hell of a lot, as you can imagine, and getting to know some people and, and the, the wonderful stories of, of these young people that were recruited into the air cadets and, and, and you know, one in particular is a young man who's who's you see him marching past and it's all sort of upright and everything and I spoke to his mother and she said well he's been in the air cadets now for three years when he first joined he had the lowest self-esteem you can imagine his head was down his shoulders were slumped and you you couldn't imagine this young man as, as I saw him uh, not that long ago marching uh, and he's he's the sort of the the, the sergeant of this group and it's just brilliant. I think they sh we should be doing more and more of this uh, around the country. Um, in fact, quite frankly, I think sometimes it should be compulsory um, because it te teaches you uh, a higher, you know, more self-esteem, more respect for yourself, more respect for others. And, you know, that's what good military training does. 
and also a wealthy guy here, and Alex, a bit of a, a philanthropist, has contributed quite a lot of money for scholarships and training, uh, pilot training, and it's going gangbusters. So, yeah, I think th th there's a bright side to uh, what we can do. If we're going to drop discipline because of political correctness and everything, then there's got to be an alternative, something else to fill the gap. And I think this is a good example. Mm. Well said. I'd agree. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Investing in the youngsters and getting them, getting them right is pretty important, isn't it? And we don't do quite oh, enough of it, do we, mate? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, what sort of generation is going to come next if we don't, you know, introduce things like self-respect, for crying out loud? Mm. <laughs> and, and they've got, um, the, the cadets uh, have got such a good community spirit. They, they will get involved with all sorts of things that... Uh, uh, you know uh, that the community's running. They'll get behind it, they, and they selflessly, um, you know, they'll 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 work hard. Uh, you know, they, they might only be you know 12 to 16 years old or, or 17 years old, but they, they'll get stuck in, and they'll, and they'll do it without complaint. I've always noticed that uh, various events. You're on on the money there, Dave. And because remember, guys, we all know what airmanship means. You know, it, and it, it installs a all the things I said, it installs respect for yourself, respect for others, respect for the machine uh, that, that you're flying, especially if it's going to be used by others, you know, all that sort of thing, uh, which, yep. which we drop the ball on a lot uh, for a large proportion of the uh, population, uh, yeah. you know, it's a shame. That, that awareness of order, doesn't it? And it, uh, indeed. it seems to be diminishing out there. Yeah. So it's doing the right thing. You know, uh, even if you're not going to gain yourself by it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Well, um, our, our next section uh, is the section that I call Great Escapes, and that's time for all of us to mention any aviation books or films or television or radio or podcasts that uh, you've been indulging in lately that um, have, you know, really taken your fancy. And, and I'd just like to... Uh, follow on from what Peter was just saying because I discovered a, a fantastic 1970s TV comedy which I had heard of but had never seen and it's on YouTube uh, it's called Get Some In and it's set in 1955 uh, based around a, a bunch of uh, young 18 year olds who have just been called into the RAF for their national service um, do you guys know the um, the comedy? Uh, no. Get, get Some In uh, if no. you go to go to YouTube you can find it and it's it's great comedy and it's uh, it's also spot on the money for um, the Air Force experience uh, there's so many things in that that I remember from my recruit course uh, from my service and and um, I looked into the background of it it's written by uh, John Esmond and Bob, Bob Larby who um, famously wrote a lot of different good British comedies but uh, uh, they're probably the the best uh, known one would be The Good Life. And um, interestingly, uh, John Esmond was actually in the RAF himself, and of course, so he knew exactly what he was doing with this, this comedy. Um, he, he, he gave up his RAF career as a medic to, um, to pursue his uh, script writing. And um, so, yeah, it's exactly that where they're taking uh, young people from uh, all walks of life and um, through national service, they've been given that uh, that training, which is very similar to what uh, Peter was just saying. And and that was um, it's it, it's it's a really uh, it's it's a good good fun comedy, but it's got a lot of truth to it as well. Fantastic! I'll check it out. 
Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll put I'll put the link up on the show page as well to the first episode. But all of the the whole series of um, episodes are up on on YouTube, and it's really worth it. Um, I've got I've got two others that I I'll, I'll mention before I uh, turn it over to you two. Um, oh, you three, sorry. Um, I have had the privilege of uh, reading a, a, a pre-publishing copy of a book by uh, Frank Gatland. Uh, who was a late RNZF pilot. He's no longer with us, but his son, Arthur Gatland, who you've probably all seen at air shows in his glider, um, he's, uh, he's just um, publishing it right now. It's called Escape the Best Sport Ever. And Frank, Frank Gatland was a um, short sterling pilot, and he had a, a notable career before getting shot down, and when he did get shot down, he ended up... Uh, evading for a while, and then he got captured, and he escaped. Um, I think it was four times he escaped. He, he's w- with the evasion. He's credited with five uh, escapes, basically, and uh, <laughs> was going through a, an incredible uh, a, a series of adventures, uh, running around Europe with the Germans trying to find him. So, um, this book is the first-hand account. It's uh, you know autobiographical, and it's really, really good. Um, so Arthur is uh, publishing 200 copies. He, he initially was going to publish 100 copies, and when he uh, put the word out that he was going to publish it, he got so much of a response, he doubled that. And um, I wouldn't be too surprised if it goes up um, further. There might be further additions to the numbers that he's putting out. But one of those uh, rare books that, you, you know, these days you don't get too many of these anymore, and uh, um, very, very, very good read. Um, I'll also uh, put a link up to that in the show notes and um, of course the other one is uh, that I've seen just uh, last week was uh, Dunkirk uh, yes. and uh, I'm sure a few of you have probably seen that no I was going to ask if anybody had I was yeah, yeah. going soon if I can yeah is it good? Yeah. it's great it's really good um, I, I I just was thoroughly taken with it it, 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 it just yeah, it kind of puts you there, and, and I, I just thought it was fantastic. And the flying scenes, oh, brilliant. It's a, it's brilliant. a, shame, it's a shame, though, that they used a Bouchon, um, you know, uh, that sort of, yeah, bit of a shame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> although I, I, I can kind of get past that because I'm used to seeing them in so many other films that you, yeah. you almost sort of accept them. But, um, yeah, yeah, nowadays they, when there are, you, you know, the the BF-109Es around, um, they could have used one, but I guess the cost is what comes into it. Yeah, yeah wonderful to see the three Mark one Spitfires yeah, and the Blenheim as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Cool. The interesting yeah. thing was that the director didn't want to do any C- CGI uh, yeah. uh, aircraft, yeah. and real aircraft flying. And another thing you may or may not know is that uh, when Tom Hardy, who I think was playing Alvear, um, yep. When uh, when they shot his uh, aerial sequences, they they somehow put they made a, a Spitfire canopy on the back of the Yak fifty two, yes, and and put a camera behind the pilot, the, the the real pilot, and he wanted to do all this aerial stuff actually in the air and not as I say do a green screen and create computer uh, stuff. He wanted him up there, and it worked really well, didn't it, Dave? It did. It, I think it's quite remarkable, actually, to see uh, the um, what they did with what they call it the yak fire. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe that the, um, the 
the aircraft was interchangeable, so they could put the the Spitfire canopy on the front or the back, and oh, and right. uh, for for different shots. And of course, um, a lot of the the point of view shots that you see from the Spitfire when it's chasing the Messerschmitts and things like that, uh, you're actually got a camera strapped to the side of the yak, but it, it's it's done up um, in the in the same colours as the Spitfire. They've they've mocked it up, and it to me it looks just like the side of a Spitfire. So yeah. um, the other thing too, the uh, the large scale models they use for the Heinkel and the Stukas, they're fantastic. Yeah, the Stukas in particular, they just look so real. Yeah, I mean, that's the best model work I've ever seen. It, it, it was better than CGI, and it was better than most of the models that you see in, in films. So uh, it was very convincing. I was thinking they must have been down to a marker and got some help from those boys, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you built, built yeah. very cool gear. God, I must go and look at it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Go go and see it while it's on, still on the big screen because uh, it's it's – Epic. The the cinematography is fantastic, yes. and it needs to be seen on a big screen. Yeah, yeah. will do. So, uh, what uh, what have you guys been reading, or watching, or listening to lately? Who's first? Uh, Peter, you can go first. I tell you what, I, I, I was very, very fortunate recently. Um, I attended the Rally Aviation uh, uh, reunion uh, dinner. Oh yeah. I was asked to speak, and they gave me uh, as a a thank you, a Gavin Conroy's beautiful book, Fighters and Bombers. It's right. just extraordinary. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yep. And, but the strange thing, uh, about uh, a week after I got back from doing that uh, evening, uh, a mate of mine popped in and said, oh, I thought you'd like this, and he gave me Gavin Conroy's book, Precious Metal. And, yes. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, he's... He's a genius, that man. Yes. Uh, um, golly, he's a good photographer. Uh, just unbelievable and world-renowned now, of course, as we know. But, yeah, yep. that's what I've been um, g getting excited over. You know, there's no girly magazines in my house, just <laughs> Gavin Cockroy's books. Playing <laughs> porn. Playing porn. That's me. That's uh... Those are both extraordinary books, and uh, I've had Gavin on the show um, talking about both his books when they've come out, and it's always a pleasure to catch up with Gavin. He's a great guy. Um, he oh. does amazing work, as you say, and, and uh, you know, uh, one of the things that really amazed me, I've never been particularly taken by the Vulcan. I've, I've you know, I've just sort of not, not really... Uh, thought of it as a, as a as a, an amazing aircraft because I've never actually seen one, of course, apart from in a, in a museum in England. But um, uh, seeing his photographs of the last photo flight that that the uh, flying one did, it just completely changed my view. The the way he captured it and with the incredible uh, cloudscape that he that he had uh, and the lighting and it. it I just fell in love with the aircraft. I was like, "Oh, why was why do I finally fall in love with the aircraft right when it was just finishing flying?" But um, um, yeah, he did, did amazing things. Yeah, the other day I saw a documentary on that uh, long bomb run they did in the Falklands. Oh yeah, yep. in Black Buck. Have you seen that documentary? Yes, I haven't. Yeah, amazing, amazing what they yeah. did. And go ahead, Andrew. Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you how many they started with and the whole logistical exercise. It was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and, and and all, like, no computers to really speak of. 
and it was all dead reckoning and bloody, you know, uh, trial and error. But their resolve, the Brits, you got to, got to, you know, they put everything into it, and they actually did get one bomb smack on the runway, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, there's actually a very good book on that. It's called Vulcan, is it 708? 607 or something. Yeah, but there's a book written by the crew, and it's, yeah, it's well worth a read. just tells you yeah, exactly how they did it. Very lucky, though. There were so many things that went wrong and could have gone wrong yeah. with the air refueling, getting them down there and getting them back. But, yeah, like you say, that British resolve and... Um, they did it. Yeah, amazing. And apparently, the Vulcan was a real bitch when it came to air-to-air refueling. All yeah. oh, right. Just, just very difficult. You know, those those long hoses coming out of the Victors, and and wow. And but they managed to do it. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, because it was originally designed to to be able to air-to-air refuel, but they stopped doing it. I think because it, yeah, it was they had a lot of issues with it. And then, then when the Falklands happened, they had to run around and get it all working again and train pilots to do it because yeah, they hadn't been doing it for years. And, and it was only about three weeks, wasn't it, that they had to train? Yeah, yeah and they had to go and scavenge bits off airplanes that were parked up in museums and all around the world yeah. <laughs> to get the refueling system to work. Oh, they, 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 they found one part, crucial part, that was being used as an ashtray in the officer's mess. That's right. Yeah, it was a valve or something, yeah. <laughs> oh, confidence inspiring, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. No, just, just so, a- cool. Andrew, what have you been uh, watching or reading? Well, we're hoping to see Dunkirk shortly, but um, and that's interesting. You guys mentioned that, but uh, I'm well behind the eight ball on this one, Dave. Um, the last most recent read was uh, was Ches Sullenberger's job on the um, uh, Hudson River with the A320. Oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. I thought that was a good read about his life and everything. Yeah. I, I particularly enjoyed um, some of the background to his uh, training and all that sort of stuff. But um, it sort of uh, it was a, a fairly sedate read, but um, most interesting from my perspective. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. That movie was good too, Sully. That was a really good movie. Mm. Yes. They, yep. they portrayed that well, didn't they? They did it well, eh? Yeah. yeah. I thought it was brilliant, yeah. Mm. yeah. But yeah, quite, quite interesting his background and and, uh, and the way he saw it and, and uh, took the whole thing on. Yeah, it's good. And Don, have you, have you got anything? Yeah, I'll put a plug out for a book out that's coming. Um, and it's on James Ward, BC. Um, mm-hmm. It should have been out by now, but unfortunately there's been a few issues with the publisher um, getting unwell and having to... Um, hand it over to someone else, but it is coming, uh, and I haven't read it yet, but I, I'm really looking forward to it, because it's, it's going to be yeah, very, very detailed and accurate on the whole story of James Ward and uh, how he won his VC, and, and then sadly how he died as well, so so that is coming. Um, another book I'm just reading at the moment, it's called Duty by Bob Green, um, and it's about Paul Tibbetts, who was the captain of the Enola Gay aircraft that dropped the first atomic bomb. Um, and I've only just started getting it, I haven't finished it yet, but it's, it's a really good story. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just just really enjoying it. It's, it's, it's a story about an, a generation really that, you know, is, as we all know, is, is sadly passing on and you know, shortly there won't be any World War II veterans left. But it's just a really good, good story. I'm interested in, in that whole World War II era. 
and and all about how the the team was formed you know to do the mission there was 1800 personnel involved uniform personnel to that and it was all done in secret and none of them knew what they were going to be doing uh, it wasn't until they they got to um, the airfield that they took off from to, to drop the bomb that they were all told what they were actually doing so it amazing fat, <laughs> it was a fat boy wasn't it, it was a bit what it was called the bomb yeah, it was uh, a fat, fat man and a little boy yeah, that man oh, right. with the two. Yeah, uh, just yeah. The, I haven't finished the book yet, and I'm sure it'll be a lot more to come on it. But it was just—it's just a really good, interesting story, and how this uh, guy Bob Green, you know, got to know uh, Paul Tibbetts in a later life and interviewed him and recorded all his story. So very lucky that he did. He was a journalist and lived in the same town as as Paul Tibbetts did in the fifties, sixties, and and just you know, got to know him and gradually got. Got him to tease it out, you know. With one of those guys that just didn't want to talk about it, you know, as, yeah. as you as you would. I, mean, I remember uh, that um, there were rumours went round that Paul Tibbetts had committed suicide because of it and all this, and it was a load of rubbish. But hmm. um, I, I think I think there was a bit of backlash um, uh, towards him by probably the uh, the um, anti-war type people. Um, so I can understand why he didn't want to tell the story. Yeah, I know that was pretty much why, because you know it was controversial. And, 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 but his view on it was, well, you know, we were just doing our job. We were following orders, and uh, and if we hadn't done it, then there would have been hundreds of thousands of soldiers killed you know, in the invasion of Japan. Yeah, millions probably. So, well, Okinawa sealed that, didn't it? I mean, that, that how difficult it was to take that island. Yeah, and yeah. they they just thought, Jesus, if these people are going to fight to the very last and hide in caves and, you know, it's yeah. just going to go on and on and on. And I agree with what they did, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you look at it uh, you know, from all the perspectives and uh, what they did is what had to be done to really end the war. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Unconditional surrender. Yeah. Right, yes. Part of, part of the picture. None, none of it at the time, is it? Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a good book. Uh, Don, it, it, all, it goes through into all the psychological issues that he had to contend with. and the Yeah, yeah. It's, it's his whole life story, really. Yeah. Well, I must have yeah. that one. That sounds like a good read. Yeah. Yep. And he was only 29 years old, you know, so he was a young fellow. And then and he, he was a B-17 combat pilot. You know, he had, I forget how many, you know, sorties he'd done over in Europe and then he got brought back to the States and then got made in charge of this 1800 team uh, to, to, yeah, to do the, the mission and then just yeah how a young fellow like that got that sort of responsibility but he, he didn't even know what it was about until they were basically ready to take off they didn't tell people <laughs> until right at the yeah. end what they were doing. Funny, when, uh, last year I read the Leonard Cheshire book and um I wasn't aware until reading it that he was in the second B-29 that followed. Ah. <laughs> the one that was sort of like the, um, you know, observing plane. Yeah. And uh, they put a representative of uh, the POMs on board, and um, Leonard Chidger was, was that person. So yeah. it was... Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he, and he told his story from his perspective about that event. And, um, yeah, and he must have been part of that 1800 team, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Hey, he was a remarkable man in himself, Cheshire, an uh, incredible man. 
And uh, but something interesting that I read just the other day uh, is that apparently the um, Catholic Church is going through the process to make him a saint. Is that right? I, yeah, I didn't know that. Catholic Church yeah. get up to all sorts of stuff, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they do. There's a few vacancies, I think. Some of them aren't saints anymore. <laughs> no. That's a controversial one, Dave. Shall we carry on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just pull out in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's a that's a lot of interesting uh, things to go on there in our in our great escapes, and we'll move on to the next uh, next part of the um, program, which is uh, our most memorable flights. So, um, Andrew, what what's been your most memorable flight? Well, it's been a, a few over the years, but. Um, I'll, I'll go with the most memorable recent one, actually, mate. That was uh, last air show when Dave Brown um, said to me, I think you need, before these strike masters leave to go to another part of the world, he said, you better get up here and we'll go for a, well, we'll go from um, Ardmore down to uh, Tauranga in number 69. So I went, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, I didn't say that at all. I said, that, that'd be marvellous, Dave. <laughs> when do you want me? So, um yeah, dueling, yeah, 0.8 duel and, uh, and strike 6.9 was good fun. That's all I can say. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah, did the whole, you know, did the whole sort of pre-flight round it and all that sort of thing, you know, the intro conversion sort of ride basically. And, um, yeah, it was cool fun. Yeah. Uh, did you get a film of it? Uh, yes. There's various snippets of it everywhere. Yes. Yep. Right. right. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's all for me, from me at this point. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Peter, what would yours be? Well, I've, I've got a, a, a few, but, um, I mean, I'm only, uh, what is it, about 480 hours. Uh, but I have done a few things. And when I first started, I did some silly things, but won't talk about those. Um, <laughs> but when that day that I flew from Thames to Tauranga to film Andrew's uh, fantastic museum, um, there was this big cloud, so like a wall between... Yeah. Uh, me and Tauranga, so I made a phone call to Tauranga, they said, yes, it's very fine, it's a lovely day here, and it was a lovely day in Thames, I thought, oh, bugger it, we're going to do it anyway, and I had my cameraman with, with me, a very religious young man, and anyway, we, we were flying towards this wall, and I thought, well, if I, if I get to about 4,000 feet and just slip through the, the, you know, the top, uh, I'll be fine, and we'll break out into the beautiful uh, uh, day on the other side. Just as I got to this thick, thick wall and it had a sort of a flat uh, uh, you know um, ceiling to it it was it was it was almost like somebody put it there yeah. well this thing opened up I'm in a little technam but it just this big canyon this big white fluffy canyon appeared just as I was getting there and I turned to the my, my passenger and said did you do that <laughs> 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 Was his name Moses? <laughs> Mind you, when I looked at him, um, he was white, and there was a, a wee bit of sweat coming down. Um, but yeah, and it came through, and it was just beautiful. It was just extraordinary. And I never—I mean, even though I had a cameraman, I, we didn't have a film of it. But it was just unbelievable. Yeah, and um, so that was my little uh, little story there. What about you, Don? Oh well, I've had a few. Uh fun rides and skyhawks over the years. I guess that would be my most memorable flights. And and thinking back on it now, I'm just so fortunate and 
grateful and lucky, lucky to have done that. You know, you can't do that in the Air Force anymore in a fast jet. And uh, yeah, it's only three people in the Warbird community that have got jets that anyone can do it. So, yeah, extremely uh, lucky to have done that. Uh, the longest flight I ever did in a sky was from Darwin back to Nara, so about five hours total. Uh, we went Ooh. by Townsville because Scott can't fly for five hours. And, um, yeah, it was just a great flight taking off out of town, uh, out of Darwin. Um, there was a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier parked just out off the, the port. Um, and I just remember how big the bloody thing was as we were climbing out. Unfortunately, we weren't allowed to go and say hello to it. That was uh, back in the days where we weren't allowed to play with the Yanks. Um, and then, yeah, flying all the way back. And, yeah, I just played with the radar and played with all the avionics, which for me, being my trade, to be able to do that was fantastic. There were six of us in a formation, so we did all sorts of formations, and I took some amazing film and uh, video of it also. Yeah, that was probably my most memorable flight. An interesting one that I did that wasn't... Sorry, say again? Who was flying your aircraft, if you don't mind me asking, Tom? I think that one was Phil Wilson. Yep. If you know Phil, he's in the Middle East these days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did did some really interesting ones when we were in Nara because yeah, we had you know, most of the T birds because we were doing the conversion flying. So there was there's lots of opportunities to go on flights, and because we do these deployments to Perth and Darwin, and we'd only ever be given one Hercules, you know, to do the ground crew and all the equipment. So we'd put groundies in the back seats of the T birds. So they'd be there to be able to refuel the aircraft and turn them around. So when the Herc turned up with the groundies and the support equipment, they just wheeled everything out and started them up and away they went again. So, yeah, the groundies you know, got lots of rides over there. It was great. Amazing fun. Mm. One interesting flight I had was in 85. Um, I was at Hobsonville working on helicopters, and I wanted to go for a ride in a P3, so I put my name down with Fire Squadron. Uh, to go for a fly and one name came up so Judy reported to Five Squadron in the morning and it was the week that the Rainbow Warrior had been blown up in Auckland Harbour and, and so I didn't really think about it too much and join the dots but when I got there the the, um, the the captain of the aircraft said have you got a passport and I says yeah and he says well go and get it and get it you know an overnight bag and anything else you want to take because we're going to Fiji and so yeah we jumped on the aeroplane and flew up and we were looking for, if you remember, there was a, a yacht called the Uvea, which yep. the French agents had sailed had sailed to New Zealand with the explosives and then sailed away on. Yep. So you know, we were going to try and find it. Um, and they'd, that's, they'd captured it or caught it at uh, Norfolk Island and the Australians were real pricks over it all. They would only hold the boat for 24 hours and after that they let them go. So we were, we flew out to try and find it, and then we were just going to you know, trace it and follow it. But we never found it. Um, but we suspect, yeah, it met up with a French submarine, and they scuttled the, the yacht and the way it went. But we flew around the South Pacific there for a few days looking for this boat, including sneaking into French airspace in New Caledonia and sneaking around there. And we actually got caught by a French Navy patrol boat. <laughs> and, yeah, there was a diplomatic incident over it and all sorts of things. But, yeah, that was quite interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I think the, the French might have uh, uh, beaten you to the diplomatic incident. Oh, yeah. they, they, they caused it yeah. first. <laughs> going on around that international politics were just, yeah, unbelievable. And still are, yeah. when you think back. But, yeah, that, that was a quite 
ride on a P3 ended up being two or three days, and we went yeah, based out of Fiji and flew around for a long time. We, we found a life raft floating in the organ, so whether that was a life raft off the boat. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, we never, wow. never found it, unfortunately. Amazing. Oh, wow. Cool fun. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. flying in a three is cool fun. Yeah, they fly, call it the flying kitchen because it, it is probably the best restaurant service of any airplane in airports. <laughs> it's a kitchen down the back and someone permanently frying steaks and eggs. But yeah, just fly in at yeah, low level, yeah, looking for ships and just to see the capability of the airplane. Yeah, for me, it was you know, it was all about you know, how the avionics when it worked. And I was working on Sue's and Iroquois, which weren't quite so exciting. To, so to go on a P3 and see how the real avionics worked was what I wanted to do. Yeah, awesome fun. Well, uh, we should probably uh, start drawing to a close. There's only really uh, one last section now for you guys, and that is, um, is there any uh, interesting projects or clubs or events or aviation businesses that you want to give a shout-out to? i got one, if you guys are all right. Sure. The... Um you know, we've built a relationship which is forming and growing really well with the uh, GAPS guys in Gisborne, Gisborne Aviation Preservation Society. The boys down there on the 4th of November have um, the Rolls-Royce Car Club coming in there to have an event which will support with some aeroplanes. Um, in fact, they're hoping to see if uh, Doug's two-seat Spitfire will appear down there on that weekend as well. But right. um, So, yeah, it'd be interesting if that can happen, if those guys can make that happen. But, um, yeah, these guys are, are doing really well, and we're just trying to help them uh, build their um, team up. It's, uh, you know, it's out of a bit of an outpost there, but their little aviation museum's coming up looking better and better all the time. So, um, yeah, I thought I'd just mention that. Yeah. Great. Anyone else? I'll just put a plug-in for the guys out at Ferrymead here in Christchurch. Uh, the Dennis Jones and co., they... They do a hang of a lot out there with very, very little resources and support. Um, and particularly what they're doing with the mosquito restoration is just quite unbelievable. Uh, Amazing. They're rapidly yeah, getting to a point where they're going to have a fuselage which actually looks yeah, like a, a mosquito again. So, And they've got so many bits and pieces there. They've, they've got the remains of two mosquitoes. Uh, and the intention is, I think, to, you know, to complete one really good one out of it um, so but they do amazing work with yeah, very little support and help yep totally agree there uh, absolutely and of course as well as the mosquito the uh dennis has been working hard on um trying to uh, clean up the uh the friendship that they've got there which um mm. wasn't quite a state because it's been outside for years and years and years and uh, that's a huge task for you know a small museum uh to to you know resurrect an airliner like that so i mean that's that's been uh, interesting I, I when i was down there last year i got shown over it by uh, by dennis and and just seen it in, in real life of the the challenges that they've got there uh on both those projects it's just incredible but the the, the guys there are all fantastic people and um they need support as you say they, they'd, they'd love to have more people come out and give them a hand mm -hmm. so uh Good call. We need to do more about that in generally, general. I mean, the guys that do these outpost type work, you know, like those fellas there, are, um, as you know, they're, they're really putting some spirit into it. And uh, I think more of the population need to hear about it, personally, because yep. Yep. it's a fairly unique subject. 
and I think some of them, if, if more people knew, some would, you know, more would join. It's uh, it's a hard one to connect to the marketplace, you know. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And of course, um, they're also doing the Hudson there, which uh, is is Dennis's baby, and and that's uh, that's another huge task. But uh, Dennis is really one of the world's experts on restoring uh, Hudsons. He's got so much knowledge there, and and he's doing a fantastic job of it. So, yeah, yeah, the detail he's getting into is incredible. It's, yeah, it is. It's yeah. going to be the most complete Hudson in the world, I think, when it's finished. I, I think it will. I know that um, the Canberra, um, uh, was it the Australian War Memorial, they, they've recently completed theirs, and that one is a, a fantastic example. And the one at Wigram's a fantastic example too, but I think Dennis might just uh, nudge those two out of the, uh, yeah, out of the, the uh, top spot. Yeah, the things, missing bits and pieces that the others are missing, and he's acquired them and putting it on that yeah. one yeah absolutely uh, I, i'd just uh, like to also reiterate my um uh, absolute love for classic flyers museum i mean that's a that's a fantastic uh, museum and, and not only fantastic museum but they've got a fantastic cafe there too I, mm. i've said it before to you andrew that the the cafe is probably the best museum cafe that i've ever been to so yeah yeah uh, nice thank you very much it's very kind of you but um you know, we're just one of a, a network or a team, I, I guess, around the country uh, that are trying to do the same thing. And um, I think the closer we get to each other and the more we talk about it as a group, the better off it will be for all of us. Uh, but yeah. kind of, you, your words are very kind towards us. We, we're very proud of what we've got here, mate. And, um, and uh, we hope that uh, more and more people take an interest. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? Well, that's right. That's right. And, and it is good to see the inter-cooperation between the museums. Like, you, you've got this great relationship going with GAPS now, and um, I, I think that's wonderful. Yeah, I think it's it's only a small community right around New Zealand, eh? So the, mm. the tighter we bring it with the technology that uh, exists now, the, the better off we'll all be. It's, um, it's good. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me on the forum. It's been uh, it's been really good to talk to all three of you and uh, and hear your stories and your your views. And uh, uh, I think this is another successful episode. I hope that the uh, listeners will feel the same way. Yep. Thanks, everyone. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks, everyone. Been bloody delightful. Yeah. Cheers, guys. And um, uh, yeah. Make sure that you get online and, and get onto the Wings Over New Zealand forum and to our uh, Wings Over New Zealand show Facebook page and definitely get onto the uh, the Classic Flyers page and uh, Plain Crazy People. Yes. And um, there's there's so much online these days that social media is a fantastic thing for uh, aviation enthusiasts. So there's lots out there, and I'll put all the links into the into the show page. Um, Thanks, Dave. Brilliant. Well done, Thanks, Don and Peter for great chat. Cheers, guys. It was, yeah. Nice job. Likewise. Bloody good people. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Bye. 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 Bye